individuals, we feel like we can talk to ourselves in ways that makes us feel worthy. We can learn to talk to each other in ways that makes each other feel worthy. And then create organizations where we can all do our best work because we're not worried about um, whether or not we are kind of respected and seen as worthy when we show up at work. Welcome everyone to another episode of uh, WorkPod. Uh, today we have with us Amelia Dunlop. She is a Chief Experience Officer uh, from Deloitte. And um, Amelia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. So one thing I uh, I love um, um, guests about uh, to come on a show who talks about basically humanity or human aspects. I think and um someone from the digital side talking about uh, humanizing that's all the more fascinating so uh, thank you for for leading that charge to to kick it off love to know your background love to know your journey thus far what brought you to this world of um, uh, experience officer super um well why don't i tell you a little bit about my my current role so i'm the chief experience officer for deloitte digital uh, and basically, that means I get to kind of wake up every day um, and bring our aspiration to elevate the human experience to life. Uh, and we set that aspiration a couple of years ago because we realized that it wasn't just about you know, the customer experience. Or it wasn't about the employee experience or the partner experience. It was about what does it mean to be more human, right? So you and I woke up this morning as humans, not as customers, not as employees. And sometimes uh, with all of our work, we forget that. Um, and so my own journey has been one of you know, management consulting from the field of strategy, from, uh, from the field of human-centered design and innovation, um, but now all really focused on what does it mean to um, make our work uh, and make our lives more human. Interesting. And, and how has um, the journey been for you uh, when it comes to walk us through through your career right so starting off uh, how has been this journey and then how is the time how is the the experience market has evolved over the years certainly so i, I guess my career um i began in the kind of the field of management consulting uh, a little over 20 years ago at this point um and i started on the strategy side uh, really focused on you know helping you know, clients solve their kind of the big, gnarly uh, strategic issues. Um, I got a bug for innovation um, because there is something really, uh, really fun about uh, those, those challenges about growth. Um, and then from there is where I moved more into this field of experience, because as you know, so much of innovation is, is starting with human-centered design. And what does it mean to kind of create innovations that create, you know, just better experiences for that end user? And and how has the um, how has the field of um, human experience has evolved over uh, over last couple of maybe a decade or so? Like walk us through how has the how is the industry shaping up uh, to, to 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 serve more human and and rather than expecting humans to serve the technology. Sure. So one of the things that I think is central to the field of human experience is the, the growth of the, and the exponential growth of technology, right? And that is, up, you know, to your point, in the last uh, couple of decades, we've seen um, just so much advancement in technology, data, analytics, and um, artificial intelligence. And I think we've all benefited from that, right? The fact that you and I could do this right now um, over, over uh, video is one of the ways in which we're all benefiting from that technology. 
but I think the um, one of the offshoots is this, this this explosion technologically has created what I ask, what I call human experience debt, which is very similar to technical debt, which is just accumulated over time, or financial debt, which is accumulated over time. Human experience debt is the the way in which we can our technology can make us feel less human and more disconnected um, from the things that matter most to us and give us meaning in our lives. I think that's that's beautifully put. So uh, we we were having a brief conversation be- before this before we started. That um, I, I'm from a data science world. I, I'm uh-huh. I'm from the world where we say, okay, listen to data, right? Data 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 never lies. Data has everything. And and over the time we have seen the problem with that analysis, right? It obviously data does tell a, tell the truth, but as long as the data sources are are adequately picked and and all that. And and when you when you when you when you talk about the human experience, right? When you talk about uh, how technology uh, or human experience debt uh, that technology is serving, I th- Deloitte is 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 a major major um, support when it comes to educating the market when it comes to how how the the digital is is impacting the world or how we should be shaping. So when you when you look at your that role, when you look at look at your role as a chief digital officer for an organization, um, chief experience officer of of, a, of an organization, what are what are you seeing that? Um, what are some of the things that that you see in the industry that people are doing it wrong, or we should do it differently, or, or what are some of your observations? Yeah, my observation is that it's it shouldn't be data for its own sake. Right. And I think you you mentioned this. We always need to make sure that we're aware of the humans selecting the data uh, and the biases um, and everything that they bring to the table, because we know um, that there's the whole question of ethical tech and ethical uh, data. And then uh, importantly, on the other side, for whom the data is serving. Right. And to make sure that we understand that there are humans on the other side of that data um, and that we, we never lose sight of them. So for me, it's not a question of is it. Is it a data-led approach or an insight-led approach or is it a human approach? I really think the answer is both. And how do we use a, a focus on the human experience and insights to kind of let us be more human at scale? Um, and 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 if you if you look at um, this the current scenario, we've just been through a, a massive pandemic lockdowns. Things are coming up, and I think um, over last. Uh, one and a half year um, has been tormenting when it when it comes to the human aspect or the work aspect or the personal aspect, and 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 technology has taken the grounds right because we are more relying on technology. We are now learning our we, again. We are again getting back to the to the to the tangling of we are, we are now more empathetic towards technology right because we were uh, more adoptive more sort of so. From your vantage point, how has the how has the experience landscape? Um, evolved uh, from your from from your perspective over this pandemic uh, span. So I, as I think about that, and you know, again, the fact that we're that we're doing this, and we're still very much in the middle of the pandemic, um, and that technology has made it possible to connect in ways that we never uh, thought possible before, and you know, Zoom birthday parties and Zoom weddings and as well as Zoom doctor visits that we might not have otherwise had even a year and a half ago. So technology has absolutely made our lives better off. And, and we are still experiencing that human experience debt, 
we are still living through that 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 sense that time of burnout or that feeling of lack of connection because we all know we don't get quite the same energy to quite the same feeling as you and I having a conversation in the room or or you know with you with your listeners together with us in the room as we would um, through through the use of technology so I do think um, technology is absolutely something that we've benefited from but we need to more consciously invest in the connections that make us feel more human and if you if you if you uh, uh, take yourself to say maybe last year March, right? Things are evolving again. Things are rapidly changing, and you are leading experience for an organization. You are leading sort of um, all all these aspects. Tell me, how do you how do you grapple this uh, as 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 a as a chief experience officer? Whatever is happening, your organization is very. Um, high touch point the people involved they have to their customers involved their handshakes involved how do you how do you um, see that or how do you make sure ensure that you are the lights are on and uh, walk us through how has that changed that hiccup i mean so how much time do you have i feel like i feel like so much has changed in the last 18 months but i think some of the highlights uh, that i would that i would point to and you know every organization had to grapple with, what does it mean to continue to serve your customers in a way where you can't necessarily shake their hand um, and still create a connection or create loyalty. They've also had to figure out how do we retain um, our workforce, you know, particularly now in sort of the great resignation where people are you know, exercising their options um, and to kind of to, to move around. Um, so I, I think every organization that is surviving and thriving now is grappling with that two-part you know, workforce experience, future of future of work, as well as customer experience and future of customer. My perspective is they're inextricably linked, and that focusing on the human experience, whether as an employee or as a customer, are really what matters. Interesting. And and um, when you look at look at the the clients um, that that you are serving or that you are helping out, how has Tell us some some of the some of the some of the um, successful di- uh, strategies that you have seen that some of some of either your your organization or some of the one that you are you, you are assisting um, they they really handle the pandemic and the experience aspect really well that you you say okay this is probably a, a good role model like what what are some of those if you can walk us through those sure. So, I mean, there are so many examples where every organization had to figure out what they could do uh, in the last 18 months. Um, I think some of the ones that are really successful are the ones that were very transparent about their own humanity, right? You acknowledging uh, their limitations and their ability to serve their customer. When we think about it, you know, restaurants that perhaps weren't open or didn't have the full services that they otherwise normally would have provided. So I think there was, we got a glimpse into more transparent communication, more sort of demonstration of humanity that these are organizations that are, that are not perfect too. And they all had to figure out what they could do to stay alive and to serve their customers and, and keep their employees on board. And I think the ones that are really thriving are the ones that have been able to kind of regain their trust, right? When it comes to safety, when it comes to, um, you know, just, you know, re-engaging with, with those organizations. And so, I mean, I, I would I point to those organizations that are nimble, um, that have figured out what it means to, um, you know, again, I, I'll, I'll say it again, just to being 
being human at scale, like using data, using um, you know their kind of hybrid technologies to figure out how to create that human connection. And and um, from your perspective, what is an organization that is um, doing a really well, really good job, right? So. Um, basically, what are, have you given it thought that um, on, on the maturity scale, if an organization or, or a culture promote this kind of experience building? I think you, you said it uh, being human at scale. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful word. So um, have you um, given, a, given it a thought that what's a, what's a mature, um, ex- well-run experience organization look like? So there's, there's so many companies uh, and organizations that I admire um, who have really kind of put experience at the center of what they do. Um, I think some that I might kind of kind of point out, like I really admire what Delta Airlines had done with their gratitude campaign um, about a year ago. Um, and it was a campaign, but it was also, you know, you could show up in the airport and they had a gratitude wall where you could write a little note. Um, and and put something that you were grateful for, and a person who might have, you know a traveler who might have come in um, behind you could could get that note. So I think that's just a great example of kind of what it means to kind of build connections even among strangers, right? We uh, when we fly, we are very much among strangers, but we are all looking to make a connection. So I think Delta Airlines has done a nice job of that. Um, I admire you know organizations that are very founded in um, the in my language, what it means to focus on the human, but so whether it's a Patagonia or a, or a Chobani, um, that they really are putting um, some larger sense of purpose um, at the at the forefront of what they're doing. Um, well put. And and um, on the human experience um, innovation that is happening around the ecosystem, like what are what are some of the some of the innovations that you're really excited about seeing? What what is happening? Like what are some of the things that that um, that you're optimistic or are you seeing that uh, this is where the, the human experience aspect of an organization is heading to? Um, again, there's so many different things to, to kind of, you know, just to pick one or two examples. Um, I'll, I'll share with you maybe an example in my own organization where um, as we're sort of focused on what it means to kind of elevate the human experience, starting with our workforce, we've done something um, where we've created a human experience dream team. And what we do is we send out a survey, a simple survey that that everyone would get uh, about once a month. And we simply ask, what can we do to elevate your human experience? And uh, it's not anonymous. So you can write in and sort of, you know, say I'm having a bad day or my basement flooded, or I've written in personally and said, you know, what would elevate my experience is, you know, high quality dark chocolate. And it cre- and there is an actual team of humans, right, who's looking at all the data, going back to the humanity and the data, um, and that team sort of sorts sorts through all of these things. Some cases you just route it to, you know, the policy or the website that that person might need help with, but we can also, um, you know, create those surprise and delight moments where there was a there was the time where the team found me uh, where I was traveling to that day and actually got me, um, you know, the high quality dark chocolate. And so it's not just about um, that moment, but obviously it made an impact on me, right, in terms of my own experience. But then also what we can do to um, kind of take a look at all of that data, right, where we can kind of, you know, as leaders of organizations, understand where is the sentiment? Where are people struggling? What are the challenges that we need to focus on? And and what might we need to change in terms of our leadership and in our policies um, more broadly? So just 
just an example, again, coming back to the kind of the data and the human experience. And and if if I am um if I am an organization leader, so like if I'm leading an organization and I'm obviously gone through this pandemic lockdown, I see that my employees are suffering. Um, they have been alone and all that. And my technology is again high touch. I'm a high touch organization. Um, what would I learn? Like, what would you suggest me? What would you tell me that um, I should do? To at least get on the journey of creating a more human experience-centric organization. I love that you're asking that because you know I think about the fact that the, one of the reasons I do this work is because it's the it's the type of world I want to live in, right? It's the type of organization I personally want to be a part of, one that is asking that exact question, like how can I show up in a way that's more human? So what I'll say is I think there's three paths um, that we can go on, uh, and I write I share this as you know um, in my book, but the first path is all about what it means as a leader to grow as an individual. Um, and because if, you know, we got to do the work on ourselves first uh, before we can um, kind of show up and do it uh, for or, or with anyone, anyone else. Um, the second path is what we do as allies, um, sponsors and mentors to another um, and to kind of help them feel like uh, they are worthy uh, on their own, uh, their own human experience. And then finally, and obviously most challenging, is what we can do as leaders uh, to change the system that we participate in, right? If the system is broken, it's our job to redesign it and fix it so that everybody feels like they can show up um, with their authentic, worthy selves at work. I think that's, that's a very interesting put. So one thing that, that uh, um, uh, as a leader, I struggle with is obviously there's a, there's a strong cultural element in it, right? So if I'm culturally something, and now mm-hmm. I, I have to act in a different way uh, because of, I think, again, pandemic has. So one thing we ask all the CHROs um, that, that, that we, we, we talk to, what is the number one surprise that hit you that you realize that you're not prepared for? It's, it's that so much of mental health is required in, 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 in basically in uh, their workforce. They have never seen that uh, uh, the, the extent uh, to... Um, uh, mental health that that is required to keep because they never used to care. There was a lot of talk around performance. There was a lot talk around productivity, but never about mental health before uh, before last year. So when when I'm listening to this, right? So I'm I think uh, the, the the similar struggle and, and you rightly point in rightly suggesting that um, uh, building a culture of self embracing then 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 ally and then creating this community culture. So uh tactically what are some of the some of the steps that i can do today um that that you can suggest that will help me get on this get on this get, uh, get on this journey to create a more human centric organization so maybe i'll start by sharing um a little bit more <clears throat> of my own journey um and the research that we did um for this book um so we interviewed uh you know many many people um but we also did a quantitative study of 6000 people in the us um, on this whole topic of love and worth um, at you know in the workplace and how does it vary and we kind of we geeked out on all the different um, kind of ways to cut the data, but I'll tell you the um, the single most interesting finding, Michelle, was that nine out of ten of us say that it matters to us mm-hmm. to feel worthy, mm-hmm. right? Not that surprising, but what surprised me was that about half of us, myself included, mm-hmm. um, struggle to feel worthy. Um, and now that we show up at work, um, you know, more, more now than any other time in, in, in history, um, 
and it's the whole borderless, we're kind of working from home, uh, always on, that this idea of needing to feel worthy, even when in our workplace, we're constantly getting feedback, we're constantly, um, you know, being told that, you know, maybe we don't measure up, that, you know, to your point about the kind of mental health challenges, that narrative in your head that makes you feel unworthy, so many of us are walking around with. Um, so to to your actual question of well, what can we do about that, right? If that is the case, right, as, as our research showed, what do we do? And um, I'll share with you just one personal vignette. Um, I, you know, I was having a, a particularly challenging time with this, with the struggle of, you know, I was a mother of three. I was a, you know, a management consultant. Um, I could tell you that being a mother really wasn't relevant at work <laughs> and being at work um, and anything I might accomplish there was really not relevant at home. And so, so many of us lead these sort of dichotomized lives mm. where for me, I was either mama or I was management consultant and neither both. And I think one of the very practical things that a friend of mine and coach uh, shared with me was that to continue to grow personally mm. and professionally, I would need to learn how to grow in vulnerability. I was like, well, that sounds hard. That sounds scary. I don't want to do that. Mm. Um, but what she shared with me was the more I could learn to love myself, um, and, and really kind of get more comfortable with that language, the more I'd be able to kind of show up as a leader and love the people that I work with and help them grow. Uh, and so I'll tell you, she actually um, had me do this little exercise where I had to write down the 30 reasons why I'm lovable, which I'll tell you is really hard. <laughs> it's really challenging, particularly if you're struggling, like I, I, I do to kind of feel worthy of love. Um, but what it did was it helped me to, um, to articulate why I'm lovable. And I'll tell you, my list starts with I am lovable because I have a warm smile. Um, and it also reminds me that, that there are others out there who may also be struggling with what it means to feel lovable and how, therefore, can I um, influence their day uh, when, I, when I need them. I think uh, wonderfully put. And this is, this is a true story. So um, I spoke to one of the career coach and, and, and I asked him that, okay, uh, how can you be a good leader, right? How can I empathize and all that? So he said, Vishal, so he gave me a great exercise. He said, why don't you uh, every day write me one thing that you're horrible about? Okay. So for one week, just, just do it. So uh, as many things you can think of, right? So every day, there's like seven, eight. I, I, I was like never short of something or the other which I'm horrible about that day, right? So next week, um, he said, okay, uh, now let's flip the coin. Now your task, task is to write one thing that you're thankful about. Okay. I said, okay. So I, I, I went home, I started writing this thing. First day was amazing. I, I wrote something that I, I'm random thing that I'm thankful about. Next day was nightmare. Third day was boring. Fourth day was like, we, we are not trained to appreciate, right. um, I think, self-worth. I think that's why... Uh, when I was reading this book, it, it, I think one thing was, that was fascinating because um, when you see the stats, you realize you're not alone, right? But you right. are alone in that journey. Right? So when, I think before touching the book, it looks like you're, the, you're, you're one of the odd ones out. But, but then when you realize, okay, wow, nine out of 10, see uh, that they are actually me. At some point in my life, I have been one of those guys majority of nine out of 10 times in my life, I've been that guy or gal that this is what's going on. So absolutely, I think um, uh, relevant point there. 
so on that note let's let's get on this get let's get on the book and and i think thank you for writing this uh, pretty, pretty useful and uh, what got you this idea to write about this book so i'll tell you michelle that i i wrote this book because i needed it um and you know i needed it because you know i'm i am very much a mother of three wonderful children now ages 15 13 and 11 um and i'm you know i am a management consultant i'm a partner uh, at at the at my firm and i felt like i needed a book that that brought together both head and heart um and helped me to kind of feel like i could bring my whole self um to everything that i do whether it's at work or is with my family and i felt like i wanted it to be well researched um and have the data uh, kind of behind it but also to be personal um and to be vulnerable uh so and i also feel like there's a way in which i wrote this book for my younger self uh, and younger selves out there uh, to your point who at all at any point may struggle um and that it may be uh, something of a guide for them no i th- i think this is so um fascinating by the way and and i think one thing that um, i was when i was reading this um one thing that i was struggling if that's even a word in this i think it was it, it was well written but um i was trying to figure out how much do you expect me to to solve solve this or how much you expect my surrounding to provide for this ecosystem right so so you you talked about okay that um i think there are three ways uh, to achieve right. self wonderfully put but in first we, we walk us through through the three ways you're talking about sure so on on the journey um i as i said earlier there's three paths um and the first path is the work we have to do for ourselves and that was the example i shared around i had work to do to see myself as worthy and to literally write it down and write um to you know to pay attention to the reasons why i'm lovable because i i couldn't see it right um and so there is work i think that many of us perhaps not all but many of us have to do just into reframing into how we see ourselves um then there is the work on the on the path where we have friends and mentors um and sponsors and benefactors and this whole network of people who help us feel w- worthy and loved and supported and we need to you know make spend time uh with that group of people both for whom we are that to others and we are on the receiving end right and so there's there's absolutely that that uh those kind of important one to one relationships and then there's that third part which is are we in a community at work where we feel like we can thrive where we feel like we can show up with our whole selves where our voices are heard uh where who we are as a human is respect is respected and are we in an environment um that sort of acknowledges kind of our fundamental human needs and and um i think so on 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 that note which one do you see has the path to least resistance so i think um, when you when you when you go through these three paths and and, and i was I, i was thinking about myself by the way so when i was thinking about myself i said okay uh, self worth is nightmare to achieve um obviously if it's 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 a very personality trait so sure like some people are very good at that some people are horrible at uh, at evaluating themselves helping others i think most of us are sort of comfortable around that idea right so right. i think what pandemic right. has told us we are far better helpers than being helped um, right. in in certain ways organization i think that the third aspect was pretty pretty interesting to me right so um as a leader i thought okay maybe the third one is the catchy one okay so that's 
creating an ecosystem you can obviously you can create surround you can hire you can consult you can put tools and and and, and system in place second one is okay if i have time i'll i'll, I'll lend one and third is like and and the first the, the first path that 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 it covers that was the most struggling path for me sure I so, agree. So, so, for, so, for, so, so when when you were like, that's why I'm I'm curious to learn about your perspective. How do you how do you uh, evaluate these three paths from easy to tough or, or like what was sure. coming to you when when you, because it's it's wonderfully written, it's wonderfully put. Is which one do you think that would or or, or is, is there any such sequence? Okay, so what I'll say is all three paths are hard. Full stop. Right, and and we're not done. We're never done. Right. Yeah. So I obviously wrote this book. I've shared, you know, I shared personal stories. I've shared stories from other people that I interviewed, but we're not done. Um, so I think and it, and there's a way in which knowing that they're going to be hard and that we're never, we're not ever sort of, you know, you know, totally done is can be um, sort of, it, it can make, make it feel like it's less, you know, less of an obstacle. I do also talk about in the book, the fact that there are obstacles in each of these paths. Right. There are there are reasons why um, our individual feelings of worth are challenged every day at work. There are obstacles and what it means to try and connect with another human being. Um, we we miscommunicate. We bring our ego. Um, you know, the technology fails us. Like there's all kinds of reasons why we don't connect with another person. Um, and, um, you know, we have our own biases. And then obviously there's obstacles at the, um, the organizational and the community level. Um, all of which are hard, and so I don't want to. F- I don't. I don't want to be. You know, imply that it's daunting. I think that the journey is worth it, mm. but each one of them is hard. Um, and I think I did start with the individual for a reason, because you know, just in listening to you, it's like we can't give away anything that we don't have, and if we don't have that strong sense of worthiness for ourselves. We can't give it to another individual or to another um, um, organization uh, that we work that we work with. Um, so that's why I think there is that sequence of starting with the individual. But I do think we can we can move around, right? It's not that's not necessarily where um, we have to, to kind of stay. So on on that note, so what are some of the obstacles that that each path? I think let's let's spend a few minutes on uh, what are some of the obstacles that you found on each path that that we should worry about or that we should expect. Sure. I mean, so let's start again, starting with the individual. I think um, there's there's a lot of obstacles to seeing ourselves as worthy. Um, I think one of them is just to even just misperceptions, right? You know, we don't talk about, um, you know, that I'm lovable. We don't talk about that I'm worthy um, because it's just, you know, not something that we talk about at work, right? So there's there's that. Um, I think one of the one of the big ones that that I learned about in my research is obviously. Um, for uh, particularly for men and the ways in which young boys are told that they, the language of worth or the language of, you know, their whole sort of emotional lives of boys that really only kind of anger or withdrawal or acceptable human emotions. I think we've raised whole generations of men to feel like that even their, you know, that their feelings um, are not validated. Um, and so I think there's, there's an obstacle in terms of, um, a, a, maybe a hyper-masculization of culture um, that we've created. I think that's one that I explore in the book. Um, and then there's obstacles, obviously, uh, in our own heads, 
right? The narrative that we tell ourselves, the story that we tell ourselves and we believe just because it's in our own voice. <laughs> and it may or may not be true, but because we, the voice is familiar, um, it must be, you know, we, we sort of give it you know, more faith uh, than perhaps uh, what others might tell us. So I do think there's, there's obstacles at every path. And, and, and what about um, um, serving others and, and, and the, the community? What are the obstacles there? Sure. So um, I think one of the biggest obstacles in um, you know, demonstrating that kind of love and worth to another is um, our own need to be loved and our own kind of ego. So one of the things I talk about is the um, speed to empathy. And the fact that, you know, let's say you and I have a, a communication breakdown and I'm all upset because you said something and you're upset because I said something. It, the, the, the sort of common human behavior would be to just kind of wait for the other person to admit that they were wrong and that they need to come and apologize or make the first move or whatever it is. And so, so we wait, but we're both waiting. <laughs> um, and so one of the reasons that uh, communications and kind of connections break down is that willingness to kind of speed to empathy of, you know what, you're hurting too, just because like my hurting doesn't matter more than you're hurting. Hmm. Right. And so I think, um, so I often think about that, that need to have our own hurts or our own feelings validated can stand in the way of our, our, our ability to, um, you know, care for uh, somebody else. Um, interesting. So, what what do you what do you uh, suggest if someone's self worth is challenged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how should, from your vantage point, how do you how do you expect the person to to behave or to act if someone's self worth is challenged? Like what did you get a perspective on that? Meaning, if 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 I'm trying to be an ally or or mentor to someone and and that's say you, kind of so you are the so if you are the subject and your your self worth is challenged, right? So if sure. suppose you're you're hurt or whatever, right? So how do you how do you expect someone to to behave? Well, if someone's as I have and as I do, sort of struggling with worthiness, I think there is you know a series of things that I talk about in my book that. Um, that become a practice, right? So again, what you pay attention to grows. So I would say to that individual, um, it's it would be important to develop that practice of um, whether it, you know using words of kindness. Um, so you, to yourself, which again I I, I share. Um, you know, I remember the first time a friend texted me, "Hey Amelia, be kind to yourself." Hmm. That idea blew blew my fuses. Of course, you'd be kind to somebody else, mm. right? Of course, you'd be kind to a family member or a friend. But the idea that you would first learn to be kind to yourself and have a language system of kindness to yourself, that blew my mind, right? And so I think there's things that I would, you know, I do, I talk about in the book around developing those those habits and those patterns of what it means to how we talk to ourselves. Um, you know, I share in the book that when, when I do something that... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a mistake, you know, I automatically go to foolish girl, mm. right? I would never call a colleague a foolish girl or a foolish boy. Mm. I would call myself a foolish girl. Mm. And so I'm trying to retrain myself and the language I use to talk to myself mm. because that helps to, um, to kind of grow in worth. 
I think that's 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 a that's a very interesting point. So even um even say when you talk about um so there's a lot of cultural and or, or diversity and cultural unrest nowadays, right? So you you are seeing a lot about um and and then when you realize that say if you are a diverse group, right? So your perception of self worth is different from from like some other group or like so every 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 sort of uh, sect group has a different perspective on the self worth so when sure. you, so when you when you look at when you look at self worth from from your vantage point um how do you measure it like so is there any is there any such measure of is it like what's your what's your take on that yeah it's a good question i didn't try to specifically measure worth in terms other than self reported right, right? right so right, right. um so i didn't i i don't i haven't sort of come up with an indicator that says you know here's the scale of of kind of worthiness but what i but in your question you were definitely onto something with the way in which different communities uh some more historically marginalized than others characteristically uh feel worthy or not right so uh, one that we talked about is women and men and that you know, women in the workplace uh, feeling like they don't measure up to um, to the men uh, for whom it's you know we we will never have the kind of the Y chromosome, um, and so there's there is that gap that I explore in the book. There's also um, I did a lot of um, interviews uh, with colleagues who are not white mm. um, or not not uh, non-hetero, and they you know they talk a lot about what does it mean to to struggle um, when who you are uh, is not necessarily recognized as worthy. Um, and so a, part- a, a particular colleague of mine who's a, a gay black man talked about, you know, you obviously you're working twice as hard for, um, you know, for as much kind of um, sort of recognition. And so I think you're absolutely right that there's that one of the reasons that we see um, this kind of worthiness gap is we don't all start off at, at, at the kind of level playing field. Mm. Um, and that gets to that third path where um, often uh, we are invited to kind of lean into the system, right? Just, you know, show up and kind of play the game as, as others have kind of played it before us. But as I talk about, I don't believe it's our responsibility to lean into a system that's broken. I believe it's our responsibility to deconstruct it and then redesign it, you know, in a way that elevates the human experience. No, I think I think you're spot on. So, um, one so um, one thing that I that I like about at least the title of the book, right? So even the title was pretty exciting. So I think uh, whenever you talk about um, say uh, basically um, worth and uh, experience, I think that itself. So so many time uh, uh, if you are from a minority group or if you are from a from a at least a diverse group, right? So you understand that you have a cultural uh, significance on worth. So many many culture promote self worth. Many many sort of uh, culture suggest there's a hierarchy that uh, the worth there's a hierarchy that stands before the worth, and then obviously you you have to understand that. So when you realize that um, as a leader, when you read this, when I was reading this book, right? So I'm I'm I, all I'm thinking about my workers. All I'm thinking right. about is how they how they feel, how I'm making them feel how i can help them so they can feel better right so at least from 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 the aspect of um, so th- that is where the experience was pretty handy right that tool was uh, pretty handy that okay as an organization you can implement uh, this idea of creating an, creating a conducive in, in environment 
so that everyone feels welcome and and sort of you can give them enough tools and ecosystem um i'm i'm curious like from from, from when you were writing this book um if if you are looking at a at an organization and and how do you in, how do you how do you envision an organization implementing a a well rounded strategy when it comes to uh, creating a good self worth creating organization i love the i love your questions they're never easy <laughs> it's like <laughs> as though we would solve all of the problems uh with you know in this conversation um I think there's a few things I think about. Um, I think the place I would start is with that sort of honest reckoning of the of what the human struggle is. Um, and I think part of it is I explore the, these topic, the topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, which as you talked about, um, topic of burnout, which is uh, huge right now, uh, the search for meaning and kind of purpose in our work. And my perspective is they're all related. Right. They're all related to that fundamental human need to feel like we are worthy and that our experience matters. Mm. And so, you know, just about every organization um, will have efforts underway across those three topics. Right. They're going to have, you know, the team focused on the E&I. They've got the team focused on purpose and many will have teams kind of focused on the topic of burnout. And I think that's great. Right. And I think we absolutely need that. But in terms of what I think um, I'd like this, the future that we're kind of making together to look like. I do think we need to start having a conversation about you know, this, this fundamental human experience um, and what does it mean to see people as worthy um, and how can we kind of create those environments where people can feel like they can show up with, with their authentic selves um, and acknowledging that there are people for whom they're going to expend a lot of energy mm. just asking themselves, should I should I say anything in this meeting? Like, does my opinion matter? Am I going to get talked over? What does the other people? What do the other people think? Are they all thinking about me? Like, mm. there's a lot of wasted potential that I think as leaders we can kind of harness in our organizations. And um, what is the role of a technologist through this? So uh, I, I I use this I use this line a lot that uh, the world would be amazing when um, analysts dream and dreamers analyze, right? So when when they all when they both come together so when you look at um, this this i think if you look at all the technology that that we have our hands on many of them have been privy to all the problem that we are facing as a society right so whether it's loneliness alone i think those things so when you look at those and and this idea of um, creating a, a human centric humanizing experience organization what do you think is the role of a technologist through this? So I would say I'd say a couple of things. First, I would say that um, that the data can help us see the patterns, right? And so we absolutely use data kind of to help us understand where um, where might we have uh, experiences that that are in need of elevating, right? So that's the first thing. So that the data can absolutely be a source there. Um, I think of technologists as um, pivotal in that they are problem solvers. Right, and they're figuring out how to how to um, take you know classically that you know I think of the definition of innovation is to remove friction you know to make it easier to do hard things, and technology lets us do that. And so I think my my hope is that technologists out there would be absolutely thinking about the technology that they're building towards a human end 
and that we wouldn't just be putting out more technology for its own sake, but that it would be, um, you know, towards the end of actually making uh, the humans at the other end of that feel like their lives are a bit better. And, and what is the role of a leader through this? Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, as though that's a simple question. So I guess I would start by saying, um, my, uh, you know, personally, my philosophy of, of leadership is that we can help people become and grow to become their best selves um, when we believe in them and love them. Right. So, you know, obviously I can unpack each of those words, but that's what leaders do. They believe in you um, and they love you enough to kind of invest you know, their time and their care to help you grow. Um, I think leaders. Um, we, we can all uh, grow in that sort of equal parts, head and heart. Mm. Um, often we get promoted to leadership roles because we're very good technically at mm. our skill. Mm. But I know I had to grow in what it means to balance that kind of head and heart. Mm. And then I think the third thing as leaders, we can humanize ourselves. Um, so I think there's, I've been thinking a lot about this topic of humanizing leadership because, um, you know, there's, there are misperceptions that if, if someone is in a role, right, if, uh, you and I and our listeners in a role as leader, that somehow we've got things figured out. Hmm. But with vulnerability, we can humanize what it means to be a leader. I think that's, that's well put. And, and even I think I, I really uh, admire you for writing your story, your journey. Um, I think that many times that's, I think that is the um, hardest thing to do is to just make yourself vulnerable enough. And I think that's, that's inviting that makes you actually people like you more because now they can relate with you. They can see that. I think that, and, 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 and thank you for doing that. So, so I think you, you talked about that self-worth and burnout are related. So talk to us about that. So I mean, I, I feel like I can, you know, I can talk about um, burnout either sort of theoretically or personally, right? And I think um, burnout, my, for me, is when we've made other people's priorities and other people's important things more important than our own mental health, or our own um, sort of experience. And we do that for good reasons, right? We want to, you know, take that time to be with a friend. We want to spend that extra time with a colleague. We want to give, 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 give. But going back to what I said earlier about talking to ourselves in a way that's, you know, um, like we would a friend, we also need to treat ourselves like we would a friend so that we, we don't give away the things that we don't have. Um, and I think, you know, particularly now that we're, we, we are available uh, 24 hours on Zoom and you can kind of drop in on, on anyone around the world. I think being more clear about the boundaries that we have. Uh, and kind of ma maintaining those so that we do have space for ourselves. Um, it can sound selfish, but I do think um, kind of replenishing and nourishing ourselves is really important so that we can be uh, our best for others. Um, interesting. And what do you expect um, the reader to take away from the book? I would say this, that I think about the fact that, um, you know, innovators and artists oftentimes feel like they don't belong in an organization because they see the world differently and they see the world as it could be, not necessarily as it is. Um, my hope is that a leader would take away from this book that they have the opportunity to shape the world as it could be, not as it is. 
Um, and that we, we all as, as leaders have the opportunity to shape the experiences for ourselves, for another individual, um, and then for the communities that we show up with. And so I guess my hope is that people who would be interested in this book would would go out there and um, really start to challenge some of the orthodoxies around the way work has to be. Um, and, you know, I would love it if work was a place where we felt like we could be more authentic with each other. So um, another interesting um, observation that I had while, while reading the book is who who would enjoy this book best, right? So uh, I as I said, at, at one point, I was that guy uh, who needs to improve the self-worth, which I'm horrible at. And then at one point, I was uh, trying to be the leader in which I can help my company or my, my workers right. feel more respected. And, and, right. right. So when you were writing that book, I, I'm curious, like, who do you, what would you have in mind when it comes to the ideal reader of the book? So I, as I said, I wrote this book for people um, who have struggled to feel worthy of love and for the people who love and lead the people who struggle, right? Because to your point, um, you know, you, you may or may not be struggling right now um, to, you know, feeling uh, kind of worthy and not like you can be your authentic self, but no doubt you love somebody or you lead someone who does. Mm. Um, and just being mindful that if you don't struggle, that, that, that you have around you people who may, um, these are the people I'd like uh, to, to find uh, this book. Awesome. I think uh, with that, uh, thank you so much uh, for walking us through the book. Now we'll end at, at the tail end of the conversation. Um, we we call it to another segment. It's called rapid fire. Okay. So uh, so how will that work? I'll, I'll I'll say a word and then you say whatever comes to your mind. It could be a word or a one liner, whichever. Sure. Take your creative uh, liberty there. So should we should we start that? Let's do it. I'm ready. Awesome. Purpose. The need for meaning. Entrepreneurship. Like discovering the new. Failures. We need to learn from them. (laughs) (laughs) Growth. I'd say growth mindset for me. Culture. What is it? What's the expression? The culture eats strategy for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Someone, someone throw it on the breakfast. Someone throw it on the lunch. But yes. Okay. Does Either it. breakfast or lunch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, human experience. I mean, it's it's a hard because it, for me it signifies so many things. But um, I would say the need to elevate it. Make it better. Disruption. Change. Uh, jobs of future. I would say jobs of today, right? right? We talk about the future of work, but it's the future of it's today. Uh, future of organizations. I guess I'll say that I want the future of organizations to be more human. Interesting. Uh, burnout. The need for self-care. Thank you. Thank you for, for playing that. Uh, I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so now at the tail end of the conversation, and uh, we want to spend a few minutes on your journey, on your personal journey, being a leader. 
so we ask all of our guests uh, to share talk about some of the traits some of the qualities that has helped shape them what they have what they are today like what are some of the qualities you attribute success to oh my goodness um the qualities that attribute sort of success generally or success for me personally personally yeah um okay i think i would talk about curiosity um and i think it's late related to what i was i indicated earlier around growth mindset that the great leaders are the ones who are never so convinced that they already know what's going on that they aren't curious to learn more um and so i think for me um i know early on i you know people who mentors and bosses gave me feedback would always say that i asked really interesting questions uh, and i know that when i'm conducting interviews i'm always fascinated by the people who do have really interesting questions and so i think one of the keys to success is always be curious always um you know particularly as an innovator always ask the question that someone else isn't asking um slightly tangent on 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 that response do you think you can teach someone curiosity just your perspective so it's a vague random I think I I would to go back and say what you pay attention to grows. So I think you can teach someone to grow that muscle just like you can grow the muscle of empathy. You can grow your your curiosity. I think what happens is we lose our curiosity because someone tells a stupid question or why are you asking that or you know your voice doesn't matter. So I do think people shut down their curiosity and they need space and permission um to you know to feel like they can embrace their own curiosity. I think because because uh, I I have this in in the data science world I have this debate constantly whenever I'm talking to any say either chief data officer or any leader how as you rightly rightly pointing it out you your muscle gets tightened up if you have sometime you say that um, um that you um that you have data you have everything that you need to decide on and you never challenge that you're not curious to scratch and never curious to validate or say maybe the the condition changed maybe that i should take a peek on the on the side if something going up so right. it was it was fascinating i, I remember i was talking to this uh, uh, founder of uh, under armor and and he was and he said we shall the, the product managers keep give throwing me data right about how wonderful these clothes and and these shoes are but many times i love going out to uh, kid parks and then see kid interact with the shoe because that is what the the thing that i gain from that would never be communicated in data right so because yeah. i was always informed that i have enough data to decide but many time you realize that no 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 it's function it's data saying it's good focus group says it's amazing but i see kids not not liking this when they're actually playing in the field so that's going right. on so i think it's a it rightly put and and thank you for walking us to that what i think i mean what your the story you shared illustrates is that the that the innovators and great leaders ask why five times where you know where you and i might stop you know after once or twice um that the people who continue to ask why are the ones that kind of get to the to the heart of of issues um and can help see the world differently and solve problems for us wonderfully put and thank you for walking us through that so um besides um elevating the human experience book 
um what other books you uh, if, if we ask all of our guests to share some of their favorite reads some of mm-hmm. the books that they do you have any other favorite read to share with our listeners and viewers sure um so a lot of the books that i was inspired by as i wrote this my own book um so brene brown um uh, daring greatly uh and one of the things i admire about her is bringing social science and mm. and vulnerability in her own personal story um to her work uh and just to make it widely accessible uh so i definitely admire her work um you know, also in the academic field uh bell hooks um and some of uh the research that she's also done and as you can probably tell there's a theme here for me that sort of equal parts mm. research mm. kind of geek mm. out but also vulnerability in a way that we can all connect with so i'd say there's there too that i admire i think what what i really um um so if 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 you would say the enhancement on the book so if i if i would um sort of uh do this book maybe 2.0 mm-hmm. version of that right so it is filled with stats amazing sort of um, anecdotes i think that's good having sort of a, a counter psychiatrist giving their side of the story I think it's it's a it's a it's a very good it's a very good timely book on that. I think it's 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 a fascinating read. So I, I definitely was missing uh, this idea of okay, what if um, someone says this anecdotal story from say cultural from historian talking about because these are very good. Like we should as a as a society we should talk about these things. right so these are very thought provoking as a leader i feel the need to know these things right mm-hmm. and i think your stats justifies that we all need to know that and i think that's why um kudos for to you for um as, as you rightly said that part uh, heart and part brain um that that we need to push this this is this is fascinating thank you i mean i do think one of my hopes for the book is that it would enter into the dialogue and enter and enter into the debate right so as you were just describing that there will be other people's lived experiences there will be other organizations you know particular dynamics and to what extent does what i have to share um enter into that conversation right i don't think it's the, it can't it can't be the entirety of it right but to what extent is it part of this uh dialogue that i think we're all having about what does it mean to show up at at work? i think because i think this this could lead to a great field manual right for actually building a more cuz if if it these are like uh, i think from the coverage point of view it's 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 actually what 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 we all as a as a leader of it we as 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 a worker experience am i being loved am i loving anyone and i am i am i being in the culture where it appreciates me being in it right so right. that's the that's the from from the aspect of the hallmark of why i should exist these are all great thoughts right of of and and it rightly pointed out these are very very hard thought to so having sort of these field guides of okay this is your parachute there this is your parachute there this is your parachute there would uh, would turn enormous for for either a worker or a leader or or a practitioner to sort of take this and and create this so i think that's it's it's definitely a great conversation starter for sure well thank you i appreciate that awesome so last but not the least if you want um if you want something that our listeners and viewers to take away from this conversation from this book what would that be like what would be your closing thought i guess i would close with um 
just this idea that I've been thinking about a lot, which is our work will have meaning when as humans we have worth. And then to unpack that, uh, there's so much dialogue around finding the meaning in work um, uh, and kind of beyond just the kind of the value of, of kind of what we're paid for, but to really get to the point where as individuals, we feel like we can talk to ourselves in ways that makes us feel worthy. We can learn to talk to each other in ways that we, makes uh, each other feel worthy and then create organizations where we can all do our best work because we're not worried about um, whether or not we are kind of respected and seen as worthy uh, when we show up at work. Uh, with that, Amelia, thank you so much uh, for, for this amazing work. Thank you so much for educating us the importance of the self-worth in an organization and how it's important for creating a more humanistic organization. We all need to know this and, 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 and thank you for shedding light on this. And, and, and thank you for being gracious on your time and, and helping us understand this. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Awesome. And you're always welcome back on the podcast. And um, if our listeners and viewers uh, want to order this book, they can, uh, I think that there'll be a link on the description. Where, where can they get hold of you if they want to connect with you or? Amelia.com. That's, that's where to find me. Where, sorry? My website is ameliadunlop.com. Ameliadunlop.com. I'll, I'll put that link on the description as well to our listeners and viewers. With that, thank you so much, Amelia, for sp spending time with us. Thank you for, again, um, wish you nothing but success on the book. Thank you. Pleasure.